Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today, I chat with Australian cricket legend Matt Hayden. And that's it. That's a great shot. Up go the arms of Matthew Hayden. That is the world record. What a performance. Ah, there you are. Awesome. Um, I like to start by asking a couple of questions around your career. So, I mean, you're a legend of cricket, obviously, not just here in Australia, but from across the world. You're one of the most dominant opening batsmen, over 8,000 runs, like all these crazy st- statistics about your your playing career. Mm. In, in that 14 years, uh, 15 years, sorry, of playing, how mm. how do you kind of reduce that to one or two moments that you're most proud of? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it is very, it's a very hard question because, you know, 15 years does carry the weight of, of you know, at that point in time when you're kind of looking to retire half your life. Mm. And, and yet, you know, I think in that life also there's several other you almost need more than one life to explain this situation because you're still, you know, a, a son, a brother, um, a husband, a father, you know, so you get these sort of, you know, real uh, iconic milestones which sit, you know, with higher purpose than any kind of, you know, sporting milestone. And and I suppose that's the benefit also within the chosen profession of cricket because unlike a lot of other athletes, you don't really start to peak until you're about 28. Mm. You know, so that's a very different position to most other professional playing careers. And and so your best years, not just for me, but just in general, you know, are, are between that sort of 25 to potentially 35. So that that decade of, of your life, which also allows the benefit of having um, many other aspects and, and strings to your bow. And not more than anything, just emotional and intellectual development and mm. maturity. Um, you know, I was a very different person at 21, you know, when I first started to when I finished when I was 39. Uh, I hope there's been some growth and development in that time anyway. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> I still enjoyed a lot of the very simple things. There's a good Aussie barbecue and a beer. And, mm. but, but, you know, my, my growth had been, you know, part thereof of, of a very long period of time with some, you know, really significant milestones like breakthrough milestones. For example, you know, the seven years that I kind of came out of the woodworks of not being able to to perform at the highest level and then suddenly arriving on the stage in sort of 99, 2000 and, you know, having a decade there, well, you know, or at least eight or nine years where, you know, your career was sort of set for the highest level and the pressures, as you know, around all rigours more than pressures, just the rigours of international travel schedule, mm. intense media schedules, um, intense support thereof of, of back-of-house kind of activities of the sports sponsors and promotions and, you know, all the things that sort of go with with funding the sport in many ways, mm. um, not to mention in, in running alongside your own relationships, family and other, you know, that sort of form part thereof uh, of a life that's maturing. So, yeah, there's not really one moment in particular that there's a whole kind of bunch of learnings that have that have gone into the the transition, if you like, mm. around what I kind of like to say is rewiring from retirement because retirement 
you know, is clearly not the right word. Yeah, it's not, especially when you're retiring relatively a young age to what a normal person <laughs> retires at at the end of their life. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, just just I, I think to provide a little scaffold around the understanding of that as well is that you're right, like most people, you know, get get beyond 60 and, and find a way to merge out of, you know, relationships in business and so forth. And as an athlete, let's draw a line in the sand at 40. Mm. Arguably, it's probably more like 30 on or mean, maybe even younger than that. 27. If you're to cross it. <laughs> Yeah, across the sports, maybe it's something like 25, you know, mm. something even as, as small as that. But, you know, you've got the majority of your working life to go. And plus, life doesn't stop beyond sport. And, you know, a lot of what brought you to a sporting arena are some of the great key assets that you can use to, as your advantage in sport to understand how you can become a better person, better athlete. Mm. You know, so life just doesn't quite just go, oh, here we go, stop. Yeah. What's next? Draw a line in the sand and move on to the next thing. <laughs> so, you know, they, they're quite difficult. Um, I, I find and did find, Libs, that, you know, retiring was a was was quite difficult. It was never dark mm. um, for me, but it was very um, just confronting, I think, to know that you've gone from being hero to zero yeah. almost within, you know, a day. How did you know you were um, ready to retire? How did you know that that you were ready to sort of leave cricket behind? The Australian press were telling me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so brutal. <laughs> hey, us. He's got to get yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Mate, you are gone. No, um, no. Look, I, I think it's. Um, I, I remember when. Stephen Waugh retired and Stephen obviously was a you know iconic leader of cricket and was one of the five captains that I served under whom we all respected and, and admired and and when he was telling us as a group and we were kind of really coming into our own at that stage as well that he was going to retire it was a tough situation and and we asked him and pleaded with him actually that because if you remember when he retired was that iconic uh, innings that he played at the SCG mm. where he made 100 you know, it was a Cinderella story, and then that was that was how Stephen's curtain came down on his career. And it seemed that similarly, there was this immense pressure from the, the media engine um, around his retirement, and the speculation of, and and his response when we said, you know, why are you doing it? He said, "Boys, when you're thinking about retirement, you're already retired." Yeah. And you know, so for me to come back into my final year in 2009 and I was thinking about retirement and, you know, that was occupying thoughts and there's no room for any doubt, speculation. You know, once you're in that sort of zone of having other influences in your life that are starting starting to create even just the smallest of noise, Mm. they tend to cloud your judgment and when something's coming at 160 kilometres an hour at you. (laughs) You want to be laser focused. (laughs) You want to be pretty sharp, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of it and, and it was very un- – and I think more than anything culturally as well, you know, when you get to the to the stage of my career that I was at, you're really at the greatest influence culturally within inside, inside the group. At that point, I'd, I'd been sitting on the, the uh, Australian uh, Players Association for seven years. I'd had a really, you know, strong um, leadership role, you know, through that period right to the end and I just felt that the group – also had moved on. There was really myself, 
and Ricky that were kind of like last man standing out of the mass retirements that had just happened, which, you know, with the previous year was Adam Gilchrist. The year before that was, you know, Shane Warne, um, Justin Langer and Glenn McGrath. So kind of like that hub of people that had sort of sat alongside in the trenches with Stephen Moore mm. um, was just me and Ricky standing as a solo act. And, and so, you know, when I had that sort of sense that the culture also had evolved, and anecdotally, it meant that people were dyeing their hair as opposed to getting <laughs> cabin nets. I thought, <laughs> man, this is a very different. Uh, this, like, is this is putting makeup on and and dyeing hair is isn't isn't cricket for me, as you can see. I haven't got much, but um, so there's a bit of hair envy there. But um, yeah, no, look, it just it it had just moved on, and 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 so I kind of just had to accept the fact that. I wasn't ready to retire. I was still playing great cricket. Mm. Um, I hadn't had a particularly, sh- you know, strong summer, but I think the majority of that was actually just around the fact that I had just lost a little bit of that sort of laser focus as we discussed. Mm. And I'll never forget where I retired as well. I, was, I came home, promised myself after the Sydney Test match that that was it. Um, I'm going to just leave the group and come back and, and talk to Kelly, my wife, and just be with my kids. It had been a long summer. You know, quite an arduous one because when the speculation of media starts to come and it's your turn to, you know, it's a fairly relentless environment and something, you know, which I'm extremely proud of. I never, never, ever tried to avoid it as such. Um, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I went out on my terms mm. and I was sitting sitting at the base of uh, our driveway and for some reason I had this wild patch of cherry tomatoes which grow, you know, abundantly in Brisbane because it's so hot and they grow everywhere. And um, I was sitting there picking them up with my daughter, Grace, at the time, and, and Grace said, oh, Dad, are you retiring? And I went, yeah, I reckon I am, love. And she says, oh, no, Dad. He says, you can't do that. And I said, why is that? He says, no, no, one more, just one more year. I said, what do you mean? He says, one more test match in Melbourne. you got to do it. He says, why is that? Because Santa, Dad, because Santa. <laughs> <laughs> she Priorities. only thought that Santa came to <laughs> Santa came to Melbourne. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, that's and I adorable. looked and I thought, I thought, oh, this this is uh, you know this is undeniably an, an opportunity to to set out my stalls here and and move on and and look. Luckily, as well, Lib, that at the time I'd already started playing the inaugural season of the IPL. For Chennai Super Kings, so I was well established in a in a pretty dominant team and era in a completely different country. Yeah, um, under a completely different sort of professional regime, and I still, you know, had the desire to play cricket. So I actually, fortunately, experienced you know what what modern day players you know have challenged with right through their career because they've got multiple employers. Whereas, yeah, you know, when I was playing through the sort of three distinctive eras of cricket, non-professional back in the good old days, semi-professional, which was sort of largely the majority of my career up until 97, 98, and then fully professional, but it was still only towards one person that was either playing for your state or playing for your country and being employed by Cricket Australia as a contractor player. So, yeah, like I, I was, I had the opportunity to, to you know, spread my wings and and still had a couple more years of of cricket in the IPL playing for Chennai where, you know, we did extraordinarily well. We we won a couple of championships in that time and mm. um, it was just brilliant, you know, to experience a different culture, 
<laughs> also dig up some of the skeletons of my past as well in terms of players going, man, thank God you're in our, thank God you're in our change room now. All my sins of what I'd said to them, how I'd acted, oh, you know, cool. it's, all, it's still all coming out. <laughs> you say that um, you weren't quite ready. Do you feel like having that transition into retirement via the kind of IPL, do you think that was like softened? that transition and almost allowed you to process the fact that you probably didn't retire it exactly when you wanted to? Um, yeah, um, no question um, that uh, it did soften the blow, no doubt about that. In fact, it not only, it not only softened the blow, it, it, actually, it actually created an, an entire new spectrum of opportunity. I mean, to be playing in a market where, you know, you have 1.4 billion people and, like, even if you say, 20% of those people don't like cricket. That's maybe a, an exaggeration, you know, an underestimation of the fact that it's, it is the premium sport. You know, so when even now you're broadcasting, you're not broadcasting to three or four million people, you're broadcasting to 200, 250, 300 million people. Wow. You know, so such is the impact of the sport. It's you know, mind in terms blowing. Of where, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, just, it's a, it's a mind blowing kind of market. And, and to think that, you know, as a personality now, hated, by the way, you know, like not hated, but you know what I'm saying. Like you're you're an arch enemy of of you weren't celebrated. You've you've pulverized them for the past. Like they're praying. I used to get great stories of you know people saying we so hated you that our prayers. I'm sorry to say this, were all like so that you'd get out. And now <laughs> that you're playing, now that now that you're playing for us, we just feel so rejoiced that you're here. You know, like we can pray that you just, you, know, you know get a hundred. <laughs> The, the euphoria um, of cricket and the, the the elation of people and and you know how you get those sort of euphoric moments that come up and you know whether it be the State of Origin series or the mm-hmm. Melbourne Cup or they, they stop our nation and they're just great moments. Well, that's the IPL for sixty five days of the year. Wow! It's just every day is a new day, a new event with a new couple of franchises, which means the world to these cities. And it's just this behemoth of of just constant media and constant games, which is great. Like it's it's fantastic. So it was more than just soften the blow. It was a completely new avenue to to progress and and to hold sort of uh, weight in starting up a competition like the inaugural Big Bash League and. And proudly since that as well, you know, it's been, this is 14th season of it mm. and I've been involved in every one of those seasons. Yeah. So it's to say that it's been a lifelong lifeline is probably too much, but it's certainly been just such a great opportunity and it's provided not only, you know, a fantastic uh, avenue to just play mm. and continue playing within the sporting context, but it's provided a great platform of understanding as well um, and a great exposure and cut through to, to a nation of people that I've learnt to to not only respect but now love and admire and appreciate the the diversity of culture and the scale of community and um, and just the phenomenal sort of celebration of of athletic um, ability and through sport love of sport in particular cricket you know it's just expanded my horizons no end it's been a great blessing. Is it true that you're now a diplomat to India? Yeah, so I sit on the um, council, the Australia India Council. Yeah, so. I suppose it's my first foray into into diplomatic life. Yeah. Um, not, not as you can appreciate, Libs. You are anyway as an athlete. 
you learn, you know, the flavors of competing and mixing with different cultures right across the world. So sport has always has been a fantastic dean of faculty across, you know, multiple sort of categories of learnings. And diplomacy is certainly, you know, one for me that, that, I, that I find quite difficult as well because, you know, my country and uh, or regional upbringing in, in Queensland has meant that I've been quite a straight shooter over the years as well and quite formidable in, in my opinions and, and my judgments. My book, you know, is, was called Standing My Ground and that's something mm. that, you know, was a great title because it, it represents you know, exactly how I mostly am in life. Mm. Not necessarily black and white, but but also I, I don't really dabble in the grey too much. I like to proceed with things with great. I'm happy being small, but I want to be sure. You know, so it's been a great challenge. And and I think, you know, for Australia, it's it's a really important role. Economically, it's it's a it's a role which is fundamental to our great nation. Um, I mean, we have a $28 billion trade position with India wow. as compared to a $300 billion trade position with China. Right. You know, so we really need to we really need to understand India a lot more as a nation. And thankfully, through sport, you break down a lot of the barriers and it gives you great cut through and presence in, you know, across all the key sort of se- sectors of, a, of Australians. Uh, economy, be that resource, education, tourism, um, diplomacy sort of sits, you know, very nicely in a, in a sweet spot of assets that allows us to have important conversations, be that from government to government, business to business, or in fact, what I think is really the heart of India mm. is a people to people type relationship. Um, very family orientated like us, extremely industrious you know, amazingly hardworking individuals, but all very sensitive to people-to-people skills. So mm. I've really loved that role. Um, I'm only new to that role, but it's something that I'll be pursuing with vigour over the next five to ten years for sure. How do you or how have you in, you know, from your playing career through retirement to now handled the pressure? Because there's an, an enormous amount of pressure that comes with you know, playing for Australia in of itself. And then if you're then playing in front of hundreds of millions of people on television and then, you know, moving into these sort of diplomatic roles where, you know, they're incredibly important positions that you hold, how do you manage that? Is that something that has just come naturally to you or do you feel like you've had to work at it? To thine own self remain true, you know, I think that's probably one of the, overarching kind of mechanisms to to my own life you know so you know being true being true to who you are as a person i think is really key to it that's from an individual's point of view you know if i can address you know from a team's point of view you know there's 11 other people and a squad of 20 that you rely heavily on each other for 10 months of the year and you have each other's backs and it's a great part about being you know in a team sport i've often thought you know, asking the same question back, how, how that works from, a, from an individual sports point of view because, you know, the black line is your black line mm. and, you know, there's no prizes for second place in essence. But, you know, it must, it, you know, we've got a bigger squad of individuals. Now, that's not to say that there's less places or more places to hide. Mm. At the end of the day, if I'm facing Shoah Bakhtar, then it's my head on the chopping block. Yeah, but I've got a little mate up the other end as well that can that can help steady the ship, and I can talk to, and he can talk to me, and you know that's 
that's really a very key and critical aspect, of, and it's actually a beautiful aspect of cricket mm. um, because it's genuinely flavoured with a great sense of purpose and team. But, I mean, I think how you handle the pressure also is about finding, turning pressure into another great P word, and that's purpose. Finding your purpose within any organisation, be that sport or anything, is is a fundamental way to to explain why it is that you're doing what you do. Um, and I think that's the greatest difficulty that you have, you know, when you leave a sporting environment where the purpose is very clear mm. to then get into an organisation, either that of your own or fit into, a, you know, another organisation which, you know, you have to find that space within uh, the organisation which goes, yeah, that's my why, that's why I'm here today, mm. that's why I'm getting up in the morning, that's why I'm going to training or, you know, doing this press conference or doing this or doing that. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult part of your life but if you do, start asking good questions around that mm. and start thinking it that way from that way first. I've found that a great assistance to my life in general and especially, you know, remaining true to, to your own vision mm. um, within your own organisation um, and then to start to build it out, what it looks like from there. How did you find your purpose outside of cricket? Because obviously your life is still, there's a heavy contingent of cricket like mm. involved in your life. But you do so much outside of of the sport as well. How did you find who you were outside of the sport, and and in essence, how did you find your new team? Yeah, well, I say this with no disrespect to cricket, but cricket always got in the way of a good tour for me. <laughs> <laughs> and why I say that is that you know, luckily. Libs, I was I was born in in Kingaroy, and you know I live. I had a great childhood. You know, like I loved anything to do with water. I had green thumbs. M- my dream actually was to stay and remain on our country property in in Kingaroy, mm. grow peanuts, work with Dad, and that I would have been happy doing that as a country kid. Loved it. I loved the fact that on the weekends it was all about sport, and Sunday was about going to mass and having family dinner, and that mm. was me done. So I had these, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I had these great heart for other passions outside the game. Cricket was just part thereof of the story. Mm. Every afternoon, you know, I'd get home, I'd, I'd jump in our farm car and I'd charge off up the hills and I'd I'd go shooting with my mates and, you know, come home and do a bit of work. And it was just every day was an adventure, you know. So I've had a great sense of adventure built from the fact that um, mum being a music and speech and drama um, teaching and having a letters in both gave us the platform the school holidays to just go play. Mm. And that's when I fell in love with the ocean, um, in particular surfing and fishing. And food was always a part thereof of that story. One, because I was always starving. I was never a lightweight when it came to being on the <laughs> on the fang. Um, but also I just love what went with that, you know, like being able to, to harvest your own crops at home. Dad and I'd work in the in the on the property to subsidise the farm income by growing our own small goods and crops, and then Grandma and the extended family being around as it as it always was in the bush. Um, you know, I fell in love with just the country style of cooking, and and that kind of like planted the seed for me around how when I travelled to these fantastic destinations like South Africa or you know England any of the places where we play cricket in India in particular the subcontinent where the food was particularly interesting just allowed me to expand my passions and and like I said cricket was kind of like <laughs> the constant but it was very much around you know celebrating my other passions mm. you know f- love of family 
love of fitness and outdoor life, surfing and fishing and camping and boating and blah, blah, you know, just all of that I just loved and I'd find, you know, great allies in countries and it came to a point actually where it was almost embarrassing. Like when I'd arrive in Durban, for example, I'd have a squadron of people come out with new surfboards that I'd had shaped through a relationship I formed um, way back in 94 with Sean Thompson, the first tour that Australia um, had after and South Africa had after apartheid, and sh- and sh- Sean and I became really close, and he introduced me to all these you know surfing contacts, and you know that that meet me at the airport. I wouldn't even jump on the team bus, and I'd be bound to Schlunger and places like this, you know, outside of Durban with new boards, and I'd be gone. Wow, it's <laughs> amazing. And it was just amazing that I could you know find the time really, and mm. and it was as simple as just you know, getting off the bus, so to speak, you know, and being open to being, you know, involved in other families across the world that had a great love for cricket, obviously, but more than anything, they just wanted to show me their backyard and that backyard happened to be surfing or, you know, going to game parks or going out and having brides with families and, you know, just this rich opportunity to just explore. Mm. So cricket was that vehicle for me. And so it made it tough actually to start to sort of, Go right. Well, of these things, which one do I choose? Is any one of these sort of? Yeah, there's too many to choose from. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for someone to say that I can't do something. Yet, <laughs> <laughs> no one said no yet. <laughs> no one said no yet. No, it's all possible. It. I, I find that really interesting. It, it feels like you've had this very strong sense of who you are, and you've had a really strong um, perspective on life and. I wonder if that actually allowed you to perform even better during your playing career and then obviously make that transition easier because I always say that after having three kids and living in the real world for, um, you know, the last eight years, (laughs) it's given me a lot of perspective (laughs) about the world and I reckon I would be a better Mm. athlete with the mind and the mindset that I have now. I don't have the physical prowess but the attitude and Mm. that perspective. Do you feel like that actually allowed you to perform better as an athlete and then has made that transition a bit easier with that perspective? Yeah, look, I, I just feel really lucky and um, blessed because cricket was a really, uh, it was a, the most important part of my life through that period, but it was still put very much in balance by one, a great network of teammates and mm. friends. You know, some I'm sure, you know, you'll love to interview on this podcast because they've got you know, such such great minds and such fantastic, uh, I think the right word is probably balance. Mm. Yeah, cricket was really important, but it was only it was only balanced by the fact that in their stable of other interests they could pursue and and it was a it, it, it was propped up by that that really strong foundation to their lives, their mm. their personal relationships, the relationships of their to their cricket, to their sport, but to other organisations as well. So, you know, they're they're really a remarkable group of people, actually. And so that was, you know, a key part of of that particular group that I was fortunate enough to play, not just for Australia, but for Queensland as well. There was really some significant individuals that that were great mentors in that time as well for Queensland. Guys like Alan Border, for example, Ian Healy, 
you know, two rock solid individuals doing great things and it doesn't really surprise you, does it? They're such such good people. Mm. Um, so that that broader cultural piece, you know, with cricket, it was lucky that I, I felt really lucky that I was playing, you know, a sport which not only I love, but was able to just keep grounding you and keep, you know, making sure that the highs weren't too highs and the lows weren't too low. And 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 I suppose the other thing is the frequency of competition as well. You know, there was you're playing and competing every day, pretty mm. much. You know, through a ten month schedule, you know what? It's not like this mass build up. You know, yeah. where life just suddenly has to just stop, and then you know you either live and die by that moment. No, you're competing all the time. I, I do get and jealous suppose- of cricketers because you know we're once every four years. <laughs> you're like you have these big matches every every year. It's amazing. Well, I think it was classic when, and I wasn't there, and I think maybe maybe you were actually through the Commonwealth Games when cricket was involved. Was that yes. up in KL? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, you know, of course everyone would have been looking at the cricketers going, oh, man, these guys are just loose deadbeats. <laughs> but but, but our, our, our retort back would have most certainly been, well, you try and compete every day of your life and oh. try and find some balance. Absolutely, <laughs> like, you'd have to. It's, it's not the end of the world. If I get a duck today, I'll go out and score 100 tomorrow maybe, you know. Mm. So it's, you have to have this great balance. And I think, again, being blessed by cricket in that space to be able to, to support that way of thinking. Do you miss it? Like, do you miss getting out and? Shivers, yeah. 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 Any, any, any athlete that says they don't miss their sport. Yeah, is they're lying. lying. Yeah, um, <laughs> 100%. Because, because I think what they, but I also think it's the nature of an athlete, which is just to roll up your sleeves and get on with it. Mm. You know, you, you know that your your time is done, and and you and you will always interesting listening to your reflection of you know where you're at now as opposed to as an athlete. And of course, you'd be better. Mm. You know, because because you've got the benefit of hindsight, something that's the easiest thing in the world to see. Mm. Um, you know, when you're in the thick of it and life's coming at you and you know, coaches are coming at you and opposition's coming at you and, you know, it's just it, it's hard to find that sort of perspective. It's, you know, it's easy to get amongst the weeds, put it that way. So, so yeah, like it, I think it, it is, it's, it's, it, it was critical though to, to not fight the weeds but to just try and sit above all of that and go, right, well, where's my life at and how's it, how's it going to progress? And I think you're right, you know, just that sense of self without selfishness has been, you know, such a key asset. Do you do your kids play cricket? Because you've got that girl and two yeah. boys, is that right? Yes, yeah. I got Gracie is nineteen, so she's not a cricketer. No, <laughs> she's not into it. <laughs> I mean, she she's could now with women's women's sport is really coming along and leaps oh, yeah. and bounds. No, no, absolutely. I think women's sports actually kicking ass. Isn't it right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's some great warriors for the Australian women's cricket team. Um, and has been actually performing for the last decade supremely mm. well, for sure. Yeah, no, but she's she's not. She's she was a triathlete and oh, cool. really good little swimmish. She um she found the black line a little daunting though. Yeah. Um and and not quite enough fun for her. So she's still in that sort of health and lifestyle space. Loves the surfing and um. Best beachy. Yeah. The boys. Uh, the boys are finding their feet in their sports. Both of them play cricket, but mm. they also you know rugby. The, the uh, middle one, Josh, is a state title surfer. Oh, awesome! Um, so he loves his he loves his his surf. So I've actually got I've got the perfect storm of my two boys in essence because I've got one who loves surfing 
and I've got the other, our youngest, Thomas, who loves fishing. So my summers, <laughs> my summers, my summers are sorted. That's epic. And, and my, and my, it is epic. Unfortunately, though, my aging body mm. is at a stage where I go to bed and I'm so shattered because <laughs> we're up at sunrise to go surfing for three or four hours. Wow. And then we're back in the afternoon to go fishing all afternoon. So my bed looks really good by the time sort of <laughs> nine o'clock comes around in the summer. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, you do a lot of um, philanthropy work as well. Do you mm. feel like because of the, the life that you've lived, the things that you've seen around the world, do you feel like it's been an important part of who you are to kind of give back in those different ways? Yeah, I, I suppose it took me a long time to accurately describe what I do. Mm. I don't know if you ever get that sense. It's like when you finish when you when you finish sport, everyone says, "Oh, what do you do now, Liz?" Yep. Yeah, there's that moment where you sort of go, "Oh, I don't know if I've really got an elevator pitch here to you, <laughs> you know, whoever it is, you know." Because the truth is actually that you do a whole lot, mm. you know. But but the the thing that that summarizes what I do is that I align people and organisations on purpose and strategy. So that's something that acts as a filter to whatever I'm doing in life. So take the IPL experience, for example. My purpose to join hands with the IPL for 60 days of the year, sometimes it's not that long for me because school holidays tend to interrupt that window. It's usually sort of like a Easter window. But entertainment to on scale to Indian communities is important to me. You know, to be able to do a good job of narrating our great game, to share my passion for the game, to share my love of just playing, actually, full stop. Mm. You know, it's been such a great way to kind of vent my enthusiasm for sport and and life, you know, in general. You know, so when I look at that, it, even though that's a commercial uh, operation, it still has that purpose around an alignment to whom I am as a person. Mm. And to that, then I start to go, well, that's a filter for an opportunity. When it comes to philanthropic activities, again, th- there's a couple of different facets to that. Firstly, from an organisational point of view, um, proudly I sit within prime roles within the organisations. Like, for example, example. Uh, Linter Energy, I sit within their sustainability committee, you know, a division of, of their diversity and inclusive strategic piece. And so there I can provide counsel and, and real sort of hands-on abilities to be able to, to help, you know, great organisations, for example, like Food Bank, mm. you know, that I'm sure you're aware of that just, you know, trying to solve the hunger insecurity in Australia, which is just amazing. Mm. Um, so again, there's a filter around, well, there's a commercial partner, but it's also an opportunity for me to align within the organization on the purpose piece, which is really what I love doing more than anything. Or in fact, you know, our own charity, the Shoreline Foundation, which it's another podcast unto itself, but, you know, in essence, it's really inspiring Indigenous Australians, you know, around that vocational piece with education and employment opportunities. And you know, it's something that I've been going at now, you know, with our other founders um, for 13 years. Wow. Um, and we're achieving, you know, incredible results, employment and other results, you know, higher educational training and careers for kids that, you know, otherwise wouldn't be getting, you know. So, oh, man, it's just, you know, there's there's a lot in this space and, I, and I've been at it. And a very short answer to your question is yes, I think it's very important. Mm. Um, 
but I also feel that it's as much important as you know with any kind of giving you get these you know wonderful opportunities to learn back either culturally or organizationally um, or even just indeed just as role models to your own family and your own your own sort of network of individuals where you get a chance to 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 be able to contribute to something which needs a lot of support there's one thing in life that's for certain even in developed nations there's still a lot of need Mm. You know, it's and, and Australians do, I think, you know, we have a great compassionate heart at the core of being an Australian. We always have a never say die mentality and never leave someone, you know, on the playing field wounded. And there's, there's always this great sense of togetherness. And there's been several examples across the years now, none more so than even now COVID as people rally towards, you know, making sure that we're okay as a society. We, we're pretty good at that. Mm. I really liked what you were saying about not being able to define <laughs> what you are post-sport because I, I definitely experienced that. You know, I was Libby Trickett, the swimmer. That's how people knew me, mm. Matt Hayden, the cricketer. Um, what advice mm. would you give to cricketers who might be on the the precipice of, of retirement and coming into the real world? Do you feel like there's something that you can give to them to to try and make that transition a little bit easier? It's interesting because I've heard you say this a number of times um, during our conversation, that word, the real world. Yes. <laughs> I 100%, 100% know what you're trying to say there. Yes. But you're in it. You're, you're actually in the real world. Even when you're an athlete, you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're part, very much a part of the fabric of, of everyday life. And so, yeah, look, I think if, you know, there's any lasting kind of messages for mine is firstly, you know, love and be kind to yourself and understand Take the time to to understand your strengths and your weaknesses. Do a quick SWOT analysis, as our coaches always love to say, on your own personality. Um, because the sun rises on a funeral just like it does on a on a birth as well. Mm. And so there's always opportunities to learn once you're in an environment where you're putting yourself out there, and and it's tough because you know the life of a professional athlete is very melodramatic. You can be a hero and a villain. In the in the one day, a yeah. hundred times, and so you've got to get used to knowing yourself and how it is that you can process, you know, those those wins and those losses. And I'll never forget, you know, Michael Clark came up to me one day um, at the end of my career, and and he had, we were having this heart to heart, and he said, "Hey, Doss, I just want to be, I just want to be, you know, like you and finish like you." And I said, "What's that?" He says, "Mate, I, I want to have average fifty, and I want." 30 hundreds and, you know, play 100 test matches and it's just great. And I said, mate, the most important thing for you to recognise here is that you do the math. I played 100 test matches, you're right. Let's say they all went on average <laughs> four days. That's 400 days of test cricket. Now, you're telling me that the mark here and the KPI is 30 test match hundreds. Yep. So, well, mate, 30 test match hundreds, that's 370 days that you're having a pretty ordinary day. <laughs> you know, so, so get, get used to, get used to loving other people's success because mm. that's, that's the ultimate way that you enjoy your career and, and, and contribute more as a team and to the team as well because someone's always having a good day mm. on a cricket team. And the celebrations, I think, in life and those milestones in particular to own, to your own personal life are as important whether you're playing the game or you're just in life in general because someone's always having a good day in your life. So finding those 
finding that sort of connect to those individuals that allow you to benefit from them having a good experience. And then I think finally just follow, you know, fo- just following your heart. The amazing thing about life, and this just blows me away, this thought, when you look down at your thumbs and there's 8 billion people on the planet and everyone has got their own unique thumbprint, which can be forensically defined to you. And to think that that's the case means that someone thinks that that thumbprint's pretty important. You know, to, so to find that uniqueness in yourself and explore that uniqueness, um, free of judgment, being kind on yourself, to enable yourself to understand who you truly are will then help you kind of grow those roots into where your purpose needs to be at. And it doesn't have to be on scale. You know, like the, your purpose can be as small as looking after your family, uh, which is not really a small feat, as you know. Like it's mm. it's a constant and really um, thankless tasks in many ways. But but guess what? Our mum and dad did it. Mm. Um, and before that, their grandman and granddad did it as well. And these are challenging times. You know, I think we we can look at some of the global events that were just sitting outside our timelines, you know, like the First and Second World War, the Great Depressions thereafter which thankfully our generations didn't have to go through. But this COVID event is is looming as one of those events which we're going to need to look after each other. But before you look after each other, you need to look after yourself as well um, and to find that way to just shine, put a smile on your face. And one thing I admire about you, Liv, is that you've always got this great laugh and great smile and this ability, you know, to be able to resonate that, which is a powerful that's as much as putting a million dollars in someone's bank account. You know, you can't live off off money alone. You've got to live off the capacity to be able to connect with other people um, and a capacity to be able to give back to other people as well. Because as they say in sporting terms, you always treat people on the way up how you'd like to be treated on the way down because it's inevitable mm. that the You're going to come crashing down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was good. Yeah. That was very good. I liked that a lot. Um just to finish up, because I, you know, very conscious of your time, I just, I'd love to know what you feel like your future will look like. What are you most looking forward to achieving or doing or giving to the world? Yeah, I'd love to be able to contribute to our first Australian um, solution. You know, I think there's there's this uh, great disconnect between the ancient civilization that we that we share our common grounds with and what the future looks like in terms of that relationship and how we how we on all levels from a, a political standpoint a social standpoint an economic standpoint it doesn't matter which way you look at that I, I, I want to be a part of the solution not the problem put it that way I have a great responsibility I, I sense in this ongoing understanding around how Australians, not only define themselves, but also review other nations like India. And I think there's a great opportunity there to to support culturally because we've got 700,000 Indians living in Australia currently. And a lot of those people are highly educated, highly integrated into our community, highly successful within their own rights and play a huge role in the future of shaping Australia and, and our broader sense of uh, who, who we are as, as a people and as a nation. Um, that all sounds very serious. I have no desire to be a, a, a great business person. I have a strong passion towards staying fit and active. Mm. And I do that, I do that purely selfishly um, because I really want to go surfing 
until I can't ever breathe anymore. Mm. I can't stand up anymore with my kids. I mean, one of the great things that we do throughout the course of the year is is try and find a surfing location and go as a family. And and I just love it so much, Lib. It's just uh, the the irony of of my life actually is that I played a land based sport, <laughs> but but I'm I'm like a fish. You know, I'm so comfortable in the water, and it makes me feel amazing. You know, being in and around the water, whether that be with rod in hand or you know, just just soaking up any kind of environment. You know, with, within where water is a is a player. So I certainly, just want to you know stay fit and active because I believe that's the the benefit to a, to an active and positive mindset as well. Uh, and I think just being a really good dad. You know, like I, I think these are really challenging um, times for our kids growing up. The impacts of social media is one thing, but I just think there's a lot of information out out there which is highly accessible, but I still think the bespoke ways of life are still as current as they've ever been. Another, in other words, keeping it really simple, smiling, remaining positive by having a smile on your face. You know, being someone that criticizes in private and praises in public. Mm. You know, being that positive influence in in life and trying to, you know, find opportunities. You know, for our kids' future. I remember sitting around. A presentation at Morton Bay College um, where Grace was attending school and a lecturer came in and said, guys, we're actually trying to design jobs for your kids that don't exist. Mm. And I thought, holy, that's so true, right? Like here you and I are, you know, talking on um, IT devices and and creating, you know, really good content. But, you know, that would never have been available or possible, you know. So there's Mm. lots of change as well. But more than anything, the greatest, I think, struggle is how our kids find that mental peace within themselves to be able to just be kind on themselves, to acknowledge, you know, that they are unique and to find that, you know, that just that gift of being able to be a child before trying to grow up too quick. Mm. So, you know, I see my role, I role, not only my role in terms of, of my own family, but families in general to be, you know, that positive influencer in that space that, that has that sort of conversation and lead, thought leadership around mental fitness and, you know, the ability for us as a people to to find gratitude in really small things, you know, whether it be just like we've mentioned several times, a good laugh or, you know, a good meal or a good occasion where you're just together as a family, simple stuff. Mm. And then finally, I think being just a good husband and good, good father and a good son and um, good brother as well, I, I think coming back to the fundamentals of life as well. Like I've asked Kelly, you know, we've 25 years married earlier this month and, wow. and you know, every day we, you know, we, we find ways to, to be together and stay together and, and love each other and, and love our family and our situation. So, you know, that's been a great strength and a great rod for me as a, as a person. And, and so that takes work like, like training and you leave something behind on the training paddock and, you know, before you know it, you're in trouble and the competition comes around. Yeah, like I, I suppose there's lots in my life, as you, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Yeah. But when it's all said and done, keeping it really simple, staying fit, staying active, staying a part of the vision of companies, you know, especially on the purpose piece. And who knows, we could be dead tomorrow, mate. Mm. So enjoy every day as if it's your last. Oh, Matt, you, you're such a you, – you're a gift to your family, obviously. You're a gift to Australia, I think you're a gift to the world. And I really hope, this is my hope for your future, is that you become Prime Minister because I would very much appreciate (laughs) you as leading this country. (laughs) 
there's no, no chance of a political career. Damn. Lives. <laughs> Too many barrels to catch to do that. <laughs> this is why you should be. Anyway, it's, it's been such a pleasure and such a privilege talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. No worries, Libs. My pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Matt Hayden. He is such a legend of a dude. He even, to thank me for being on the podcast, he sent me some of his pasta sauce, which is just awesome. Make sure you check out all of his Insta details, which will be in the show notes. Otherwise, if you have any ideas about people that you want to chat to, um, or not that you want to chat to, that you would like me to chat to, preferably, <laughs> uh, make sure you like, subscribe, review, head to my DMs at All That Glitters Pod. Um, otherwise, I hope you have a very lovely day.